0: By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter.
1: Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kay. In 2018, I got an email from an entrepreneur here in Toronto who had a great idea for a website where journalists and other writers could create their own newsletters. All you had to do was generate content and the website would do the rest, including helping you monetize your writing through subscriptions, generating email lists, and otherwise running the back end of a small media organization. I didn't think much of the idea at the time, which tells you a lot about my success as a technology investor. That guy I had lunch with was Chris Best, and the company he founded, Substack, is now on a lot of people's lips, especially since it's recently become the new home for prominent writers like Andrew Sullivan, Jesse Single, and here in Canada, Jen Gerson. Last week, Chris Best spoke to me from his home in San Francisco about what Substack is, why it's become successful, and how it fits into the future of journalism. Here are excerpts from our conversation. Somebody I know described Substack as an example of writers firing their editors. Is that an accurate description?
2: I think that's definitely part of it. The bigger thing is it's writers firing their old business model that wasn't working. People often ask us, you know, hey, why don't you do advertising? On Substack, people charge subscriptions. And people ask us like, hey, if I can make money from subscriptions, why would I not also wanna go and make money from advertising? Like one bit of money is good, another bit of money is good. Having both would be even better. And the answer is that the type of work you do when you're trying to deeply serve an audience that's gonna pay you, is different than the type of work you have to do if you're trying to get a million clicks on a website. And that whole paradigm is what writers fire when they go to Substack.
1: Okay, well, you use the word paradigm, and I'm going to politely ignore that.
2: (laughs) Is that a no-no here?
1: (laughs) Well, it's it's one of those MBA words. But I get it because there is one paradigm that says you're going to go shallow and broad and get a million clicks, and then advertising makes sense. And then there is where you go narrow and deep. Like the example is you hear about these investor newsletters that people pay thousands of dollars a year to subscribe to them. They might only have a few hundred or a few thousand subscribers, but the people make money because although it's a narrow audience, it's a deep audience. Is that what you're getting at here, that you're avoiding mass market advertising because in many cases it's a narrow but deeply vested audience?
2: Yes. Yes, that's quite right. And and the, the thing that writers tell us that gives me the most courage is... When they say, hey, I've had this kind of work that I always thought was going to be important to do and that I always knew there was an audience for, but at this publication I was working for in the old way that I was working, I couldn't do that work because the model didn't support it. Like it, My editor wouldn't let me do it or the, you know, I had to spend all my time writing five pieces a day to get hits. Um, so it's not really about firing editors per se. Like Some people still want to have editors and that's great, but it's firing a business model that forces you to do the wrong kind of work.
1: I'm old enough to remember the late 90s and early 2000s when the word blog was, it was like a new word. Yep. This is ancient history, of course. But I do remember that there were journalists who went off and started blogs. And what would happen is most people who started blogs, it wasn't successful and they went back to their day job, or it was successful and the blog got picked up by like the Daily Beast or whatever, and the blogger just became another kind of conventional journalist because their blog got assimilated into a conventional media type. Is that reversing now? What is it about why that didn't work 20 years ago, but now it works?
2: It's payments. It's business model. Actually, sort of recapturing kind of some of the magic of the, the heyday of blogging is one of the things that were that excites me about Substack. Like there, there was kind of that period where it's like, everyone's like, there's these bloggers and they're out there having these ideas. And it's grand democratization of the conversation that was taking place in the public sphere. But the problem was that there, was, there wasn't really a business model. And we were at a stage of the development of the Internet where I'm I'm not even sure that if you tried to do subscriptions then how well it would have worked, although some people notably did do it successfully even back then. But the way I kind of model this is the Internet came along and we had this big idea that everything had to be free. Right. In the early days of the Internet, there was kind of like these vast swaths of people's attention that there was just this land grab to go and get everybody's eyeballs so, people would just go like making something free was the best way to do that. And there was this idea that, like, no one's ever going to pay for anything on the internet again. Like, those days are over. Information wants to be free, yada, yada, yada. And that's just a hard thing to kind of overcome culturally. And advertising on blogs was never much of a, never a great business model anyway. So, the big difference now is you can do that thing where you're, this independent writer. You can have your own voice. You can be your own editor or hire your own editor if you want to. You can tell, write the stories you think are important, and you can actually get paid real money for doing it.
1: Well, uh, publishing is free on Substack. How do you get paid?
2: Uh, Yeah, publishing is totally free at any volume. And once you turn on paid subscriptions, we take a cut. So we don't make any money until you do. And once you do, our interests are kind of aligned with yours because we're getting 10%.
1: So I'm at your website. It says a place for independent writing. Start a newsletter, build your community. That word newsletter, Mm -hmm. I think you used it when I first met you and we talked about this. And I guess I think it was two years ago because I associate newsletter with like my local PTA or the bank sends out a newsletter. It has a kind of wonky connotation. But you obviously, I'm sure you put thought into that. Why do you use the term newsletter?
2: It's actually something we've agonized about a fair amount because on the one hand, describing a Substack publication as a newsletter is really reductive, right? Like it's really its own independent, it's like a blog and an email newsletter and a subscription membership system and a comment system and a podcast potentially. Like it can be all of these things. The thing that we found was that describing it as a newsletter made it kind of instantly understandable to people. And it is a newsletter in addition to all those other things. And so when we would go to talk to people and be like, it's this cool thing where it's both a blog and a newsletter and a podcast and a community and a whatever, people's kind of eyes would glaze over and it's hard to get people to be able to grab the concept. But when you say, you know, hey, it's a paid newsletter, they're like, oh, yeah. I understand exactly what that
1: would be. I hear a lot of people talking about Substack because lately you've had a few big-ticket joiners. But when I look down the features that Substack members have, you know, this isn't rocket science. There's an email list, (laughs) there's a website, there's a kind of paywall. Some content is behind the paywall, some is in front of it. So it's sort of an amalgamation of low-tech features.
2: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. There's no individual feature on Substack that by itself is a crazy novel thing, right? Like there are already ways you could get email delivered. There's already ways you could host a website. There's already ways you could take payments. There's already ways you could host a forum, all of this stuff. And in fact, before Substack, there are people who would put these things together themselves and make successful businesses by cobbling together WordPress plus MailChimp plus some other service. And Andrew Sullivan is actually one of those people. He had this independent website, The Dish, for a long time that was wildly successful. The thing that's nice about Substack is that if you're a writer, you don't really want to be spending your time pulling all those things together, making them work with each other, doing tech support, figuring out all of the ins and outs, doing the optimization of the conversion on this page and solving the email delivery for that person. The thing that we started the company with the idea of is we looked at these people like, let's say, Ben Thompson, who writes a newsletter called Stratechery that he charges money for and has built his own system for. We looked at him and we we're like, this is an amazing business. Why do more writers not do this? And the answer we came up with is just like, it's really hard and fiddly and you have to do a bunch of stuff. And our sort of vision for Substack was like a, a text box that you could type words into. And if the words you typed were good enough, you're going to get rich.
1: Okay. So in that category, I'm thinking of a friend of mine, former colleague here in Canada. Her name's Jen Gerson. And I know she just started up a Substack. It's called The Line.
2: Thrilled about it.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm, I'm a member. It's like an opinion website, and she's got some pretty sharp writers. One thing I talked to her about is she does have political content, and we live in the age of cancel culture. Have you thought about what happens when people come to you and say, hey, this substack, he linked to some guy who once linked to some guy who once linked to a guy who's in the KKK or or the opposite, like this guy's posting Antifa content. So you got to take that off. What are your policies when people come to you with complaints of what they regard as extremist content?
2: Yeah, we think about this this a fair amount. And I think the biggest thing that we have going for us that's sort of an advantage in this, what you rightly point out as a fraught space, is just the nature of Substack is that you as a writer have a direct connection with your audience, right? Like they're coming and literally signing up for your newsletter. We don't have a, for example, a global feed with an algorithm that's deciding what stories to show you. So in general, if you are Reading something on Substack that you find objectionable, it's because you signed up for that thing. And there's a really easy, you know, I, I sometimes. You're the hate criminal. <laughs> well, you have to self cancel. Well, and I, 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 I almost joke sometimes like, cancel culture is fine. There's a cancel button right in the email. Just hit cancel, and <laughs> it's canceled right. for you. Uh, unsubscribe. That sounds kind of glib, but I think that that gives us a lot of leeway to be like, look, we're hosting writers and people that are signing up for their newsletter, right? Like, you're not, we're not foisting anybody's content on anybody else.
1: I get that, although we all know that when it comes to this cancel culture stuff, although people say that this stuff is being foisted on them, 90% of the time these campaigns are a demonstration of power, and they're trying to bully, whether it's Twitter or Substack or, in some cases, PayPal, into putting up a flag on one side or another and and helping them cancel someone. Uh, But have you, has anyone approached, and not just on the left, it happens on the right too, has anyone approached you trying to get you to take down any content yet?
2: Not a ton. There's the occasional thing. Again, I think we've gotten farther without having a lot of these problems because of the shape of the thing, but it's something that will, will happen at some point, no doubt.
1: And now a message from our commercial supporters at BetterHelp, the online counseling service that helps people everywhere become happier and more productive. At BetterHelp.com, you'll connect with your professional licensed therapist in a safe, private, online environment using secure video, phone, online chat, or text. Anything you share is, of course, strictly confidential. While BetterHelp isn't a crisis line, new clients can start communicating with their counselor in under 24 hours. When self-help methods aren't enough and you seek professional counseling, BetterHelp can connect you to a network of thousands of licensed therapists. And you can switch therapists to make sure you get the right fit. Licensed counselors include specialists in sleep, trauma, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. So many people are using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 U.S. states. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. There's no awkward waiting room, and you can message your BetterHelp counselor at any time. Financial aid is available in some cases. Join over 1 million others who are taking charge of their mental health by visiting BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, dot com. Quillette listeners get 10% off their first month service with the discount code QUILLETTE. Just go to betterhelp.com slash Quillette. And now, back to our podcast. We met in 2018. I think we met, I think it was the King Street Diner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Near my old job. And I remember you were describing this. And I think I remember you used the term newsletter. And I remember I was skeptical because I was like, yeah, newsletter. One ironclad rule of Silicon Valley is that whatever I invest in will go bankrupt in three days. And whatever I dismiss, people get rich. So... Be straight with me. Are you driving three Ferraris and have seven Russian girlfriends? (laughs) Have you gotten monstrously rich from this?
2: I am not driving any Ferraris. I live in a a modest two bedroom flat here in San Francisco that would be on an amount of rent that would buy a probably a palace anywhere else. But the company is going very well. I shouldn't complain about it. I think we're building something that has the potential to be extremely valuable.
1: So let's talk about running a company like this, because I remember reading an article about how these companies are staffed, and I read about WordPress, Mm -hmm. and WordPress, in some ways, is very similar to what you're doing. It gives a template for content curation, and then it gets out of the way and lets you supply content. If I remember correctly, WordPress has very few employees. I think at the time, there was only a couple of dozen and that's because it provides a kind of generic service and they don't provide the content or curate the content. I'm guessing you don't need a ton of people to make this thing run.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's broadly true. And certainly we that's what we aim for, right? We kind of want to be able to create a lot of value with relatively few people. One potential exception to this or one thing that might try it a little bit is that We see that our role is not just not only building a software platform that enables this stuff. You know, we're trying to provide everything that a writer needs to go independent and do this thing. Like, remember the text box that you type in and make the money? It should send the emails, it should take the payments. But some of it is support that goes beyond software. One example of this is we've started a program called Substack Defender that helps provide legal defense because we had people coming to us that were doing, you know, local journalism, let's say. And saying, hey, I published this piece that was critical of this local business person or politician, and now I, it was totally a legitimate piece of journalism, but now they're threat- you know, they've got fancy lawyers threatening to sue me, like, what do I do? It would be easy for us to say, oh, well, you know, we're just the platform that sends your email, you know, that's, that's your problem. But because our mission is to let people go independent, we kind of want to be like, what could we do to help with that?
1: what you describe is a big threat to local journalism where often a local city councilor will be more litigious than a national political figure. Right,
2: Because they think they can get away with it and, and too often they can, unfortunately.
1: One of the big problems in journalism Isn't so much at the national level, particularly in the United States, Uh, you know, whether there are a thousand reporters covering Donald Trump or 500 isn't a big deal. But there are now small cities in the United States that don't have local newspapers and it's a much bigger deal. Do you find that geographically localized substacks have a strong following?
2: We do have a a handful of really great examples of of things like that. In fact, there's one in Toronto called City Hall Watcher that's quite good, or at least I think it's quite good.
1: Are these typically one person? Jen Gerson has a few people who help her with it, but is it typically just one person?
2: It it often starts as, as one person. As it grows, one of the common things we hear is, hey, I did this thing, and now it's way more successful than I ever expected, and I'd love to have someone to help me out, and you know, how do I? How can I build this thing into something bigger?
1: There must be Substacks that is, is that correct to say Substacks? Yeah, why not? Inventing a new word. <laughs> are there Substacks that you look at and they become wildly successful, and you just you shake your head and you say, "How the hell did that subject? Why are there a thousand people or ten thousand people interested in that?"
2: I think that that exact experience you describe is one of maybe the central delights of Substack is that that happens over and over again. So many things that I'm like now that i see it of course there's people out there that care about that thing but i you know i never would have i never would have thought about it but then the
1: opposite phenomenon is when you get somebody who's a national commentator who who speaks about you know mainstream politics or something like that let's say they're on cnn or fox and i'm wondering are there situations where that person's model or that person's appeal simply doesn't work on substack because they're not niche their appeal only lies with packaging within a big network or a big newspaper? Like, are some people simply too big for Substack?
2: I don't think you can be too big for Substack, but I'd say your success on Substack depends more on the depth of your, like the depth of engagement you have with your audience, the depth of trust you have with your audience, than on the size. There are potentially people who have a broad, you know, a very wide audience. Let's say they have many, many Twitter followers, but none of those people really, Follow them that closely, that really have like felt like they developed a, a high trust relationship over time. So therefore, just having a lot of Twitter followers doesn't necessarily predict that you'll be a successful Substack. And I think that would be the, the same would be true in a you know big media company like you say.
1: When I talked to Jen about her Substack experience, she said that one of her anxieties was that when she started out, she wasn't going to have content to post every day. And I can see this. I'm a former newspaper journalist and and that would be my anxiety because when I was a newspaper journalist, I was expected to be productive every day. But she told me that your advice was, hey, look, once or twice a week is fine. Is there an ideal pacing for content on Substack?
2: I think the most important thing is actually finding a pacing that you're able to sustain over the long term you know, you were talking about what makes a good sub stacker. One of the most important characteristics is just the ability to stick with it, the ability to keep writing, to have sort of the motor to keep doing it. Because not everybody has that. I'm sure you've had experiences trying to chase, chase down people to get them to, to finish writing things. But yeah, you know, if you think about what would you want from a writer that you follow and care, you know, that you really respect and, and sort of want their take on things, how often you want to hear from them is going to depend on what they're covering and what they're writing about and how much, you know, uh, what, what format they're writing in, right? Like we have people on Substack that write, you know, four or five times a week. We have people who write once every two or three weeks, but it tends, it comes in this giant drop. That's this massive thing when it comes and people like both of us.
1: The journalistic industry is in a state of extreme turbulence and traditional journalism. It's losing jobs but there's all these green shoots that are popping up in the area of podcast and self-publishing. When you look at regular news reports about how newsrooms are shedding jobs, you know that each of those newsrooms has at least one or two dozen people who are capable of having popular substacks. It's sad that these places are going under, but it also creates opportunity for you. Are things like substack going to allow us to go in-depth in the news in the way that the legacy media once did?
2: You can't build a company if you're not an optimist, I don't think. The genesis of Substack felt like we looked at a bunch of trends that we felt were negative, that we felt were problems in the world, right? One of them is that the business model for legacy media has really suffered. Venues that we have for written culture are are dying uh, with or without us put shortly, like social media is breaking our brains and driving us crazy. And I, I don't feel any less strongly about that uh, now than I did three years ago. But the way that we look at that is, you know, those are real problems and they're bad things. And, you know, I, I wish those weren't happening. But given that they are happening, it, the challenge it ought to put to us is what could we build that would take advantage of this opportunity and, and, and make something not to not to replace or not to prop up or not to continue the things that are today, but I think you aim higher than that and ask, could we build something that at least in some ways is better than anything that came before it?
1: Although that raises the question of curation, right? I'm thinking of the Huffington Post where it started with great fanfare. What it turned out to be is what it had thousands of bloggers and maybe like a couple of dozen of them had any real following. Those few dozen were able to monetize their content Eventually, if you want to turn it into something larger, I guess you would have to curate it and you'd have different sections and you'd have to promote some writers and not others. Is that something that would make you nervous? Because that would put you into an editorial role and not just an entrepreneurial role.
2: That is something that would make me nervous. And it's something I actually don't think we have to do that. I think that's part of the magic of the model that we've set up, is that the fundamental like, unit of value in Substack World is your relationship as a reader with one writer that you trust. And if you follow one writer, if you subscribe to one Substack, you're there, you have an experience that works and that is a valuable product. And our goal is essentially never to try to get in the middle of that relationship and never to try to do the bad thing that we think a lot of pretty social media companies are doing of trying to like hijack your attention and tell you what you should go and spend it on, which is, that's probably like the negative, (laughs) the negative framing of curation. We don't want to have that role as a platform. And the way that we've built it means that we don't have to.
1: First do no harm, right? Totally. Chris Best, founder of Substack. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk. If you want to create your Substack, just go to substack.com